Thank you so much, choir. I guess some of you wonder why I went down on front. I'd seen Will practice, and I figured he'd walk all over me if I stayed here upon the pulpit. <laughs> he is risen. He's risen indeed. What a wonderful day to come together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. However, as Christians, we do it every Sunday morning. We come to, res- to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, for he did come forth that first day of the week, that first day of the week. I'll confess to you that I have a difficult time in preparation, not, only, not hardly the sermon, but my own self in preparation for preaching on Easter Sunday. I have that sense that, um, that there's so much is dependent upon what happens that day because we want to bring honor to him. This week as I struggled with my own heart, realizing I felt like a big responsibility was on my shoulders, the Lord woke me up about 3.30 one morning with the 16th chapter of Matthew where the Lord is in Caesarea Philippi and the apostles have been following him. And he raised the question. He said, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus said, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father in heaven. And he said, Peter, upon this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I was affirmed in my heart, God says, Ned, it's not your responsibility of causing anything to happen. It's your responsibility to tell the truth, and flesh and blood can do no more than tell the truth, but our Father, which is in heaven, will bring about the fact I was reading this week of someone who tried by flesh and blood to say what was happening on this day. It appeared in the Times, which is a paper in Britain in 2008. The author said, this is a universal truth. The Easter message is one that everyone can sign up to. Good Friday. It says, Commemorate sacrifice, the giving of oneself as a martyr for the love of others. So Easter is the achievement of victory through suffering. These are universal spiritual truths. And the more interactive acquaintances, those of different faiths, with this belief of others, the clearer the common acceptance of those truths. The Easter message draws the devout together, all religions. From suffering, goodness can triumph. Death is not final. And then he made a final statement. That's what it's all about. All faiths can proclaim this. And where this day can come together is that this day is a message about suffering. And our suffering can triumph. Folks, that is blasphemy. This message of Easter is not one that we can suffer or we can give our life. That's fine. Or we can do good works or, or whatever we can do. This Sunday represents a time when, when God did something which only God could do. And so this morning, as I read uh, in, in uh, 
uh, the scriptures that, that uh, flesh and blood cannot reveal any, but the Father in heaven. I looked at several passages of scripture. For example, in Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this morning, I want to read very slowly the passage in 1 Corinthians, uh, in, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. But also Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All scripture is given, God-breathed, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this morning, as you look with me to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I want to call to your attention, as we read through, I just want to be stopping along the way, because sometimes we read the whole passage, and then we start back, we forget what we read. And so I want to just, I just want to look at 1 Corinthians 15, this message is what Easter means to me, what Easter means to me, and it can mean what it means to you. Paul says in 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 1, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And some would question is why how can we believe the Easter story? Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of them who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one out of a due season. Then he says in verse 12, But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some say there is no resurrection of the dead? Some of them were saying, There's no such thing as resurrection of the dead. And he said, goes on to say, If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ was raised. Here is, here's the argument he's going to be making. He's going to use a, an argument called from lesser to greater or greater to lesser. He's saying if one thing happens, for example, if Christ has been raised, then those of us who are believers, we have been raised with him. If, if, he, if there is no resurrection of the believers, then Christ was not raised. So you see, the resurrection of Christ and the, the final resurrection of believers is, is intricately t- inclined, in, entwined. And so he says, but if, if, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so in, is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have been fallen, have fallen asleep or have died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. 
But, he said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits. He's the first one that was raised, which means that those of the who believers will follow. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruit. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then I want to look up at uh, verse 35. Verse 35. Paul is saying, how can I know of this resurrection? It's because the eyewitnesses have seen it. But also a question to be raised, how, how can I believe in the resurrection? Just look around. Just look around. Look at the lives that have been changed because those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. Look at the martyrs who have died over these last 2,000 years who have been willing to testify that Jesus is alive. And look this morning, as we, as we even as a church come together, we don't come together to, to, to confess a lie. Those disciples, those early disciples, as, as, they, as the musical has been telling us, they fled. And as Ellen so eloquently said last night in, in her, her beautiful, beautiful expressions, you know, they all fled, they all fled. But then that Sunday morning, something happened. They came to the tomb. They, the, the, the women came to the tomb. And, and I was studying the Sunday school lesson this week, and it said... The, the scribes and Pharisees came to Pilate and said, listen, now this man's been telling, after he'd been put in the grave, this man's been telling he's going to rise the third day. Why don't we, you know, we need to secure that thing. Because you see, those disciples, they're going to come over here and they're going to take his body away and they're going to go out and say he was raised to the dead. So, and Pilate said, fine, get the guards. And so they got a bunch of guards. And they got, they got a big stone and they rolled it. I, I, when I was reading, I thought... <laughs> I bet you God's got a sense of humor. Looking down and saying, look at Rome. This Roman Empire rolling the stone over the grave. And the one who, who made the stone what a, what a silly thing. But you see, the stone is not going to be rolled away the way to let Jesus out. It's going to be rolled away to let those go in to see where he's not here, that he's gone, that he's gone. And so we come this morning with, with a sense of victory because, because there is victory. And then look around. We have hospitals. Guess who it was who started hospitals? It's in, it was Christian community. Look at, look at our, our, our education. Look at our nursing homes. Look at our, our, our children's homes. Just look at education. You know, you can go to and fro. Look at the countries. Look at the countries where where the gospel is being preached, what happens? People reach out with compassion. And I ask you this morning, where are all those pagan nations when we have had a disaster here in the United States? Has the funds just flowed in? No. But you let us here as Americans, here in the United States, who is a Christian nation. I don't care whether the president says it or not. It's a Christian nation. It was founded upon, upon the word of God. And you let crisis happen anywhere in the world. And what happens? Our people are there. And usually it's the Christian people who are there first. This doesn't happen because people believe the lie. I might believe some things, but I'll not stick by them to give my whole life unless I know they're real. And so this morning, we don't come, we don't come just trying to stir each other up. That Christianity is not the opiate of the people. It's not what we take our drugs in order to, to build ourselves up, the drugs of, of religiosity. 
We come this morning because, because Jesus is, is alive and he's alive for, forevermore. We say, well, you know, uh, a lot of the other religions are all right. You know, all of them have great leaders. They have some scriptures. They have miracle stories. They have high ethical standards. But there's one fundamental difference. There's one fundamental difference. We can go to the, the tomb of Muhammad and say, are you here? And the answer would be, yes, he's there. What about Moses? Yes, Moses is there. What about Buddha? Buddha's there. What about Confucius? Confucius is there in the tomb. But you come and say, Jesus, he's not there. He is risen. He's risen, just as the scripture said. So this morning, it's wonderful to see that we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. We can believe in the resurrection because the world, the world is so different because of Jesus coming and living and dying. Paul goes on to say in verse 35, But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? With what kind of body will they come? And then Paul, he goes on to say, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body. As he's determined, and each kind of seed he gives its own body. And he says, and then he, goes, he talks about the seed, then he goes on to flesh. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another kind, birds another kind, and fish another kind. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from stars' splendor. So it will be. With the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown is perishable, is perishable and raised incorruptible. Do, oh, do you see what the scriptures are saying to us? Is that God who created this earth created it just right. It's created just right. And the people who who are uh, those who occupy it, it's just right. For example, he says, for example, the earth, let's, let's take it to the earth. The earth is tilted about 23 degrees, 23 degrees. If it was perpendicular, straight up and down, the sun would shine on the North Pole and melt all the water, and, and we'd go flopping off like a baseball, like a, a football. You take the sun 93 million miles away, give or take a few miles. But let's move it in only 50 million miles miles away. How would you like for the August to be about 240 degrees rather than sometimes 110? But also, also, look at the moon. About 260,000 miles away or 264, come give or take a few miles. The moon has, has gravitational pull. Let's just cut in half. Let's just say the moon's only, uh, let's give it a, 180,000 miles. What would happen, what would happen when, when high tide it would reach high tide at the foot of the Rockies. And what would happen when it'd come out and it'd wash everything away? Well, we take the earth. It, 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 uh, it, it rotates on its, uh, its axis every 24 hours, which means we have some daylight and we have dark. What if it was always dark? There wouldn't be any growth and there were no plants. The sun, uh, we revolve around the sun every 365 days. Uh, 364 plus a few months, a few weeks, and then we get our 365. So it, 
it, it, uh, we, have, we, have, we have the seasons. But then this morning, I want you to go, watch me go. Now you mock me, go. What do we breathe in? Oxygen. And we give out carbon dioxide. Isn't it, isn't it a, oh, isn't it something? Is that it so happens that the green plants and the trees give off oxygen. And guess what? What they do, they take in carbon dioxide. Woo! Boy, I tell you, it's wonderful how this evolution's come about, isn't it? Mm. And so Paul is saying this, if God so meticulously, if he so meticulously has created this earth, and then he puts, he puts uh, animals on the earth. He puts some animals that are herbivorous and some are carnivorous. Been wanting to use those couple of words for some time. <laughs> herbivorous means those that, that eat uh, the grass and, and, and stuff. And then there are those that eat other animals. Uh, they keep the balance. And then, then, there, then there's mankind. But then we see there's birds. You know, I've, I've, I, I grew up in the mountains, and I love to see those hawks catch those wind currents, and I think, wouldn't that be marvelous? I can't fly because I don't have wings. But you see, God made those birds so they can fly. And understand, their bones are sort of hollow, and they're really light. And then look at the fish. They got those gills on them, you know, and then we just go on. And, and Paul is saying, you know, there's, there's, there's this kind of animals, blah, blah. And he's going on to say, God did that. God did that. And what he's, what he's going to say in is that if God has gone to so much trouble and so intricately planned for that to happen, if he planned for life which is so short, as James says, it appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. It's like a vapor. Life is so short. He said, if God has done so much to make life that is so short and he's done so much that particular, with that particularity, what is he going to do for eternity? He knew there was only one thing. And that was his son, Jesus Jesus knew there's only one thing, and he would come, and he would die, and he would be raised the third day, and he would be alive. He would be alive forevermore. Folks, those are the plans that God has so made for us. And he says, if you can believe in the one, and we can just look around and say, yeah, some of you pretty well put together to, to last for a while. But if God has done the, that for, the, for that which is temporal, can we expect any less in his preparation for that which is eternal? And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The resurrection says that God has prepared a place for us. But through Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he's prepared a plan, a plan for us. The scriptures, when it talks about that place called heaven, oftentimes it uses terms like a wedding. All weddings are pretty. I did one two weekends ago. I have never seen an ugly bride. You say you hadn't seen some I have. Well, I mean, <laughs> but it's beautiful to see that, that bride comes down on the armor of her father. And then she comes down front and the groom, he stands around. And the father, at the appropriate time, takes the hand of the bride and puts it in the hand of the groom. The Bible says that one day that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. The church, the church is the bride of Christ. Those who are, who are believers, those who have been saved out from under every race, every nation, those who are believers, those are the, it's the bride of Christ. And one day, the Father, will be, we're going to go to heaven, and his son, Jesus, is the groom. And the Father is going to take our hands, going to put them in the hands of our Lord, and folks are going to have a wonderful wedding. Wonderful wedding. I want to invite all of you there. There'll be room for you. Then also it talks about heaven as being a place, a place where it's a banquet. I love banquets. Pretty, I love banquets. Heaven's going to be a banquet. It's going to be a banquet. And then it talks about that place the Lord has gone to prepare and he's planned for us. It's called home, home. I like that one. I like that one. I can recall when all the children were young and all the spouses were still alive. We'd go to see mom and dad up in Mary, North Carolina, up a little place called Paxton Creek. It's between Marion and Old Fort, North Carolina. Just uh, most of them are Duncans up that holler. But we had done, we had done, all set a time that we would going to come home and and uh, my sister and her husband would be coming in from, from Oakland, California. Uh, we would be coming in from High Point, North Carolina, or Kannapolis, where we have to be pastored. And my brother, his family would be coming in from, be coming in from Shelby. And as we would, we would all start rendezvousing. Uh, sometimes, uh, we'd, we'd, if we were first, we'd be coming up the road. And, and guess what? I'd, I'd, see a, I'd see mom and dad. They're standing in the window looking for the kids to come home. Glory be. And we'd go in and, and then we'd talk and, and mom and dad would stand in the window. They would stand in the window and look waiting for the other kids to come and then we'd get there. And mom, and, mom had, uh, had, had cooked everything that everybody likes. Glory, the kitchen would be packed. She'd always have a lot of these, these apple pies, not these little frittered things you get in the door. It was a, you know, about double handful, and had enough, had about a bushel of apples in it, and and she thought they would fold it over, and she'd take her fingers, and like that, and then she'd fry them. They'd be stacked about that high, cause all of us loved those apples. What am I saying to you? My my mom and dad were parents. 
and 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 they you know, they provide. They wanted everything their children loved. And the Bible says, if we, being evil parents, give good gifts to our children, how much more the heavenly Father? I go, he says, to prepare a place for you. And I'll come again, and I'll come again. Well, I always have a burden when I come always to the end of the message also. I think maybe I've shared it in such a way that everybody will think that they're going to go experience that when that's not the case. The resurrection is both a blessing and a curse. It is a blessing for those who have responded and invited Jesus Christ to become Lord of their lives. We'll spend forever and ever and ever together with our wonderful Lord because of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the Lord is preparing a place for us, and through Jesus Christ, he prepared a way. And all those who believe, all those who believe will be there. But it's also a curse. For those who say, I don't believe stuff like that. I don't believe that kind of junk. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe Jesus came. I don't believe that's important. But it's like this. We can look and say, there, some say, there's many ways to God. If you're just good, you know. But it's like this. It's sort of like in a supermarket. It's a supermarket shelf is full of, full of bottles. And each bottle represents a religion. And let's say there's 10, 10 bottles there. They all represent a religion. Only one thing. Every one of them is poison except one. Whew. Terribly important that the right one be chosen. The Bible says it's not God's will that any perish, but all have everlasting life. And when Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. Man has a way to spend eternity with God in heaven that is a prepared place, a promised place. It is a place. And so this Easter Sunday... Is a resurrection a wonderful blessing for you? Are the thoughts of it wonderfully blessed? Or if what Jesus said is true, that there's no other way into the Father but by Him, is it going to be a curse? Is it going to be a curse? I pray and I trust that this day, this day, will be a day in which the resurrection of our Lord can be for you and you and you. He died for all. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, oh, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, 
man believes unto righteousness and with mouth confession is made unto salvation. I recall a number of years ago and I quit. I had been sharing the Lord with a man for a couple of weeks. I'd been in his home. He was a big, big state highway patrolman. I'd come to love him and, and he felt comfortable around me and I felt comfortable around him. But I remember one evening I had spent two hours trying to answer every question he had. Banana said, when are you going to be off? He said, I'll be off Monday. I said, could we have breakfast together? He said, sure. So we had breakfast together. And so it's so noisy in the restaurant. I said, let's go out and sit in my van. And we're out there in the front seat of my van. I slid both seats back. And I said, you know, I've, I've tried to answer everything that I knew to answer. But I want us to do something. I said, I want to open up the scriptures. I want you to look at the Bible. And I want you to read I want you to read these words that I point out to you and I want you to tell me what do you think they say. Now I remembered Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I opened it up and he read, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I said, What does that mean to you? He said, I guess it means everybody's sinned. I said, yeah. Then I turned, he read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I said, what does that say to you? He said, well, whatever it is that God has to offer, it's a gift. And it's eternal Forever. Then I turned to another passage and I said, Would you read this? And he said, For God so loved the world. And about that time, big tears began to flow down from his face. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I said to him, what does that mean? He said, it means that Jesus paid my price that I might be saved. And I said, would you want to do something about that? He said, yes, sir, I do. And I said, when do you want to do it? He said, I want to do it right now. And in the front seat of a Chrysler minivan, one man sitting reading the Word of God, the Word of God empowered the Word. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him, but the Father in heaven and the word was inspired by God himself. But also, as we read it, the Holy Spirit of God brings that word to life. And so this morning, I've tried as, as good as I know how to tell you about the, what the word says. We're going to stand and have a few moments. And I want you to...
permit the Holy Spirit of God, perhaps he already has, to bring these truths to your heart because I can't save you. If I could, somebody else would come along and unsave you. But it's by the power of God. Let's pray. Lord, how wonderful it is to to meet with a group of people in a building like this where we're unhindered and we don't have worry about the doors bursting open and someone coming in and threatening us. It's a wonderful privilege, but Lord, I believe that it's possible that not too long that might happen. Someone would burst in. We know this happening all over the world. Lord, I thank you for those who are standing true and standing faithful in the midst of persecution. And yet, Father, this morning we have freedom. We have freedom. You tell us that they invite us to come, but the choice is ours. You'll not force yourself on us, but you will, by grace, encourage us. And even have men like Paul and Peter and John and others to write what they've heard you say. And, Father, we believe this morning the Scriptures are real. And I pray now that as we spend these next moments together, perhaps there's one here that has, he or she is not going to be a part of that wonderful family in heaven. But yet today, Lord, I believe they want to. And I pray that if there's anyone here without Christ, they very simply would invite him into their life. Perhaps there's someone who needs to be a part of this fellowship. Maybe, Father, someone who needs to have a time of rededication. Perhaps they don't need to come and talk to me or anyone else. Just need to come, kneel here at this altar. Or else, Father, perhaps make right where they stand on the altar. And so, Lord, we, we trust your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be submissive. In Jesus' name, amen.